Everyone has a story of faith to share, and you don't have to be a pastor, a rabbi, or a priest to share it. In fact, coming up, you're going to hear the faith story of a Columbus attorney that is sure to inspire you. Stay tuned. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. Welcome in once again to Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and I am delighted to have my friend Cecil Cheeves sitting here over the next 45 minutes to an hour, and we're going to just be sharing our stories of faith, and I wanted to dig deeper into his walk with the Lord. But Cecil, thanks for taking and carving out a moment of time. You just came from a board meeting, and we're willing to swing by here and, and talk with me. Thanks for being here. Phil, thank you for the invitation. It's a delight to be here. I uh enjoy our friendship, and I think highly of you, so I appreciate the invitation. We want to, uh, as we always do, uh, uh, start from the beginning and get a glimpse. I, I make the assumption that folks don't know you personally. I want to get to know you better through the course of our conversation here today, so let's begin by um, uh, your growing up years and, and where, where it all started for you, a little bit about your family life. And certainly your earliest memories of your introduction into uh, your faith and, and who played an instrumental role in that. A great place to start, Phil. Columbus, Georgia is home for me. I moved here uh, in 1952, 1953 as a, a three-year-old uh, with my mom and my brother and my grandma. My mother had just suffered a divorce, and so she came home. Uh, her mother, uh, the Dudley family, uh, had been in, in Columbus, East Alabama, since the late 1800s, and so this was home. And I grew up on Lockwood Avenue in the Winton area mm -hmm. uh, and had uh, one of these incredible childhoods in the, in the 1950s in the Deep South in, in Columbus with, a, with an older brother, and we played ball and walked to school and rode our bikes and uh, uh, went to church. And uh, uh, it was a great childhood. I uh, uh, just feel very, very blessed. I uh, went to Winton School and then uh, Richards Junior High. We were baby boomers mm -hmm. after the war. And so they were building classrooms in front of our group. They, they had to build a wing at Columbus High to accommodate the freshman class. We had 500 in our class, wow. and that was just rippling through the school district. <clears throat> they had to build Riches Junior High, where we were the first class in the 1960s. So uh, uh, that was kind of the foundation of, of my life as a, as a little boy, playing Little League baseball and basketball and football and all the sports my mom tried to force us into. <laughs> uh, so we would grow up since we didn't have a dad in, in the home, and nor a granddad. Both my grandfathers had passed away. So really, I grew up without male influence except for coaches. Uh, but uh, you know, you ask about faith, and <clears throat> we attended church regularly. I was a little altar boy. Mm -hmm. I had my vestment, mm -hmm. and I, I knew my assignments. We were members of the Episcopal Church, and I loved it. Uh, as I said, we, we went to church every Sunday, and um, we had the Book of Common Prayer, and I knew when to stand and when to kneel and when to turn, and, and uh, 
uh, as I progressed through the Acolyte program, I, I got to, to uh, carry the, the, the big cross on the Christmas Eve service. And so, uh, I, I, you know, for me, it was great theater and great, uh, I, I enjoyed it uh, immensely. And I enjoyed the recognition I seemed to get from it mm-hmm. because all eyes were on me when I walked down the center aisle uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, <clears throat> I, um, in that process of going to church, uh, somehow I never learned the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, I look back now as, as an older man and I realize that uh, as a young man, uh, my faith was outward performance. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, uh, external and not internal. And so I was performance-driven, and not only in church, but in school and sports, everything was performance-driven. Mm-hmm. And I, I had my successes but uh, I also had a lot of failures. Uh, what I mean by that is I did things that I'm not proud of. I was not you know, the person I really should have been. I had certain leadership roles in school that uh, outwardly I uh, you know, was recognized for certain things, but inwardly I was doing some things that I should not have done. And I brought some embarrassment to myself. Uh, uh, just because I did not have the character that I should have had, and I didn't have a male influence to hold me firm. Mm-hmm. And so, I, uh, as I said, I even attended college. In college, I even attended church. I was an odd bird that would do that. So I was very religious. And I even, when I came back uh Columbus after finishing my, my schooling. I went to the University of Georgia and then I went to Sanford University and got a law degree and then later went to Emory University and got a, a, a master's of law degree. But I came back to Columbus with my high school sweetheart, Betty, uh, who is, you know, I punted my coverage. She's an amazing <laughs> woman and has been my wife now for over 50 years. We were, we dated in high school, and then both went to the University of Georgia together. And You don't hear of that these days. And uh, we got married our senior year in college. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the Lord, I will just say this, has blessed me with three amazing daughters, Avery, Olivia, and Issa. And um, a man, a father could not be more proud. I know how proud you are of your daughter and daughters and family. So, But likewise, I am. Uh, and they have blessed me with 11 grandchildren. Wow. And I've got another grandchild coming that I am um, just overjoyed that the Lord has uh, gifted my daughter with another child. Uh, so that's just a little bit about my family. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, back when, to the, my, I guess my statement of faith or, or my testimony when I returned to Columbus, I once again started going to church, as I dutifully did on Sunday mornings. And I even was taking leadership roles in the adult Sunday school class. And, and I, I remember 
that I did not know anything about what I was doing. And so I would bring in outside speakers to do what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your faith. Uh, we're trying to learn. So I'm in my 20s now. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm practicing law and, and um, trying to lead an adult Sunday school class when, when I don't even know what the Bible is. I'll tell this cute story. When, <clears throat> when I was 12 years old, I went to a camp, Camp Calvin, and uh, it, was, it was, you know, a Christian church camp, and so we're all supposed to show up by our Bibles. And so the first day of camp, uh, the, the leader asked us all to turn to the book of John. And I'm fumbling around because I brought my book of common prayer as my Bible. And I could, and it had, it's a beautiful book. It's beautiful liturgy and tells you all about the morning service and the Holy Communion and the evening service and baptisms. And it's a wonderful, beautiful book. But it is not the Bible. And yet I thought it was. That shows in my training, I, I never really read the Bible. Yeah, so, although I did, I, f I found an old King James version of the Bible that I tried to read from front to cover, back cover, uh, as a child, as a teenager. And I, I still have, I still have that Bible and the notation uh, where I kind of chronicled. Uh, okay, I read Genesis one today, and I read Genesis two, and I have the date by. And I got all the way in through Genesis before I gave up. And I, I, mean, I wrote a little note there. As I was probably twelve years old, saying. I give up. This is too complicated. And that was my attempt as a child to read the Bible. I just thought you opened it like a book and you read page one and you read to the end of the Bible. It was a story. But anyway, I had no shepherding, no guidance through the book. But I knew that book of common prayer. I knew the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments. I, mean, I had to recite all that to get confirmed. But... So back, uh, fast forward, I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm actually, actually close to 30 years old by now. Trying to lead an adult Bible class uh, for which I did not know the Bible. And uh, so I attended. Did anybody uh, pick up on any well, of that? Well, not really because we... Uh, uh, I would bring in outside books, and we would try to read books about it, yeah. and I would lead them, much like I would lead a class. You know, if I was a sure. teacher in, uh -huh. in, a, in a classroom, uh -huh. we'd, we'd get an outside book on Christian themes and Christian topics. Mm -hmm. But there was no what we would call exegesis of the Bible, mm -hmm. verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So it was topical. And, um, uh, but I... I at age 31, I, I attended a, a Christian conference through the church called Curcio, which is a Spanish word meaning short course in Christianity. And it was a three-day retreat. And I, I, went, I went through the, the first two days, and it's, it's sort of structured. It's based on prayer and and. And, and I actually had a lot of people praying for me, which was an odd thing. I'd get little notes from people, I'm praying for you. Well, I'm fine, I don't know what that means, that's good. So um, on the third day, I uh, was waiting for this thing to end and ready to go home. And, and my assignment that afternoon uh, was to go read a, a section of the Bible. 
and then we would come back and talk about it. So I had a Bible that someone had provided for me. And I, I remember I was leaning against a basketball goal, sitting down on the ground and um, thumbing through the Bible, and I came to a verse of the Bible that uh, just literally leapt off the page at me, and it said, um, uh, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I just felt a glow, uh, a change, a joy, a hunger to learn. All right, what did I just read? Who, who wrote this? Now, keep in mind, I'm 31 years old, and I could not. And I, and I, I said, all right, this is in something called Corinthians. What is that? And uh, who wrote that? Mm-hmm to show you how little I knew, having been in church for 30 years, I did not know the Word of God. And I realized that it was time for me to become a man and put away childish things. Now, that started my, my growth at age 31. And so I went home, and Betty, my beautiful bride, said, you've changed. Something is different. She said, you look different. After you came back from After the conference. I came back from the conference. And I said, I can't explain it. I just know I've changed. I think we would now call that being born again. Mm-hmm. Uh, inward born. Yeah. Not something that I religiously did and performed, but, I, you know, God changed me. Mm-hmm. Well, as God would have it providentially, my wife Betty went to the same women's Curcio conference the next week. And she had a similar experience. And she came home, and uh, both of us were changed. And, uh, you know, I say praise to God that we two were changed together, so we're equally yoked. Well, that began a journey for both of us uh, to change a lot about our behavior. And as I say, it was all changed from inside out, not outside in. Mm -hmm. And... I first had to learn the Word of God, and so I, I started studying much like a student. I had been a student for a long time, and so now I started studying the Word of God and trying to bring in commentaries and understand who this Paul was. I couldn't have told you if he was one of the original 12 disciples or not. So I started with the book of Acts, and I went back into that adult Sunday school class, and I said, all right, here's, here's what's going to happen. We're, we're going to open the Bible and we're going to try. They must to, have noticed a difference. <clears throat> I said, we're going to figure this thing out. And so I said, we're going to start with the book of Acts, and we'll go from there, and we'll see where this leads us. So we, you know, I led that class for a, a number of years, and we went through all the book of Acts and even, even tackled revelations. And so that was a, a period of tremendous growth for me is um, we got into all the epistles and, and – um, uh, I learned a tremendous about, and then I, I had such a hunger that <clears throat> I, I had an opportunity. Some friends of mine were likewise experiencing growth, and so a group decided we decided to start a church that was focused on Bible teaching. And so I I left the Episcopal Church and was part of a group that started a church, and and uh, we you know we we're all very we're still all very close friends, but we started the perfect church. And uh, 
<laughs> we we uh, ran with that for about 10 years, maybe 15 years before uh, some things, some people left, the pastor left, and so forth. But uh, um, currently, I uh, uh, am a member of Crosspoint uh, Church, which is a non-denominational church, and we're led by uh, a man named Brad Evangelista. And um, Brad is the son-in-law of my Sunday school teacher, Troy Roberts. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, so that's where we're currently in church. But that's, uh, I would say, uh, I'm now 72 years old. So for the past 40 years, I have um, been on my faith journey. And during that time, I've been blessed to sit under some very good teaching. That's the first thing I did. I had to sit under some good teaching. And I, I found that, and I've been very blessed God has, has brought men into my life, uh, not just Brad Evangelista, but a man named Chuck Harris, a man named Chuck Bradshaw, a man named Ron Mullins, uh, Alan Levi, uh, Perry Duggar, uh, Doug Duncan, I can go down the line, that, you know, the saying of iron sharpening iron. So mm-hmm. I, I've been blessed to have strong men uh, in my life and strong women who are godly God-fearing women uh, who love the Lord and love their husbands and their families. And uh, so we have surrounded ourselves with um, uh, men and women uh, and families that, uh, that love the Lord uh, Christ. And so that, uh, that's where we've spent the past 40 years uh, doing that. And, and I would... I'll just say this, too, uh, as I reflected on, on what I might say today, that the first order of business, how, outside of learning God's Word, which is still a daily process, but uh, a, a deeper dive, much deeper dive uh, uh, for many years. And, and to do that, I had to, you had to teach groups. You know, I found to really <laughs> learn something, you got to teach it, so... Uh, <laughs> I volunteered to do some teaching, and that helped me learn. But aside from learning the Word of God, uh, I had to get my re- relationship right with God. I, I, I had to understand m- my relationship with a holy God and who God is. And uh, that, first of all, he, he is God. He is the creator of all the creator of you and me. He's a holy God, and he, he is worthy to be praised. And so as I stand and looked at a holy God, I saw what a sinner I am, that in the light of holiness, uh, I, I, I fell so short of the mark. And so I, be, I had to see who accurately who I am in relation to a holy God and what a sinner. And, uh, you know, uh, it's thought, word, and deed. Uh, it's not just that I try to do good things. Uh, we, we all do, but that will never measure up. It's not a works-oriented relationship. And um, I'll just do a quick insight here. The difference between Christianity, I think, and all other faiths is, is that a Christian has been redeemed by a holy God through grace and grace alone. 
and not based on works. And so as a Christian, by faith, I am saved. It's just that simple. It is not by anything I do. And I had to come to understand that because I was a very works-oriented person. And that was very difficult for me to say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I, you know, you gotta, you got to do this thing. you got to earn this. you gotta, you got to go to church. you you know, you got to check the you boxes. you got to check the boxes. you got to yeah. tithe. you got to do. Well, those things are good in themselves. And, yes, you should do those things. But those are not the measurement by which you are accepted into the kingdom of God. It's simply his love and his grace and that he provided. He is sufficient. He provided his only son, Jesus Christ, to offer his life for Cecil Chiefs and for Phil Scoggins. And so by faith in that, I have the assurance of my salvation. It's just that simple. Now, I'll, I'll, because I've been changed from within, I'm, I'm doing some good things. I try to do good things. But that's Christianity as distinguished from what I understand every other religion or faith in the world, whatever name you want to give it. There's a works element to it. You have to do certain things to gain standing with God. And I don't believe that. I, I, I think, well, certainly God is pleased with some things I do, but that is not going to gain me interest into his kingdom because it is solely by faith. Uh, that's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, you know, when, when he protested and came out of the Catholic Church, you know, uh, it's by by grace you have been saved. The grace And grace is simply unmerited favor. I didn't do anything to earn that. So I had to first understand my relationship with God and that I am a sinner by nature, by birth. Uh, when I came screaming as a rebel into this world, um, you know, uh, that that's just the sin nature that, Everyone has. Everyone. None escape it. Uh, and so I had, to, I had to know that I had to uh, confess my sin, uh, and I did that because I became convicted of it, so I naturally confessed it. But so I guess conviction of sin, of your sinful nature, is part of being born again. You just really see what a depraved person you are, even though the outside may be shiny and clean and have a nice shirt on and, it's it hard to look, look in the mirror and really see yourself. It very much is. So I did. I looked at the man in the mirror, and I said, uh, okay, Lord, I, I confess I'm a sin. I have to do that every day. I mean, I, I, I uh, continue to, you know, uh, I may have polished up and cleaned up certain outward acts so you wouldn't look at me. Uh, I'm not in the gutter, but uh, uh, I still know who I am in, in terms of my relationship with God, and I need a Redeemer. Um. The second thing that had to change in my life, not just my relationship with God, my relationship with others. Uh, I had to become more relational with others. And I was very self-oriented, uh, very ambitious, uh, very achievement-oriented. And I used others for, you know, to gain... Uh, position or to gain standing. So, I, you know, I began to see that I was manipulating and using others for either personal satisfaction or personal gain. Uh, I, uh, 
I didn't mind telling a lie if it helped. Uh, you know, I was not honest. Uh, you know, if something needed to be uh, uh, done below the table, uh, I didn't mind doing it. And so I became convicted that those were wrong, that you don't cheat. Uh, you speak the truth. Uh, you give your word and you stay. You stick to it, even if there's consequences. Um, you put others above yourself. You walk humbly. You speak gently. You don't use the Lord's name in vain. You have a healthy fear of God. Uh, you treat people with respect, regardless of their race or their color or their creed. doesn't matter. You know, you respect their person. You respect their property. If that's not your pen, don't take it. So all of those things began to flow out of me that uh, I became a different person in the way I practiced law. I tried to treat people more respectfully. I didn't try to do anything underhanded. Everything was above board. And, uh, you, you know, you worked hard, but you always... You know, your word was your bond. And um, so that my relationship with others began to change. And, um, uh, you know, even in the house, we were trying to raise three daughters, and we were trying to take a stand as parents that we didn't believe in teenage drinking. We didn't think that was good. Well, for us, that meant we had to take alcohol out of our house for that period of time. Uh, that's how we, we, we chose as parents to raise our children. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, I mean, I have a glass of wine and a cold beer now. I love to watch the Georgia Bulldogs and, and have a cold beer on a Saturday afternoon. Nothing wrong with alcohol. But for us to witness to our teenage daughters, we said, okay, we can't have alcohol in the cabinet if we're telling them they can't drink. Mm -hmm. that, that's just how we dealt with it. Now, other mm -hmm. people can deal with it differently. But, and, and today... My three daughters are, uh, one has five children, another has three, and another has uh, three or four, and and they're having to deal with those same issues themselves. But I will sit down and have a glass of wine with my daughter, and we talk, and, and they know how to handle it maturely and responsibly. So that was just, you know, I'm, I'm saying all that. It was a teaching tool uh, that we had to get them to adults where they could learn to respect uh, alcohol and, and not abuse it. Uh, but that was just one, one small thing. I, I have, uh, uh, going back to relationships, my friendships today are so much deeper than they used to be. And uh, I, can, I am so blessed to have uh, uh, wonderful friends. Otis Scarborough comes to mind. He's like my brother. And... And I mentioned Ron Mullins and Champ Baker and Leo Berard, others, uh, Gary Rickner up and Larry Powell are men out that I met in school along the way. But what I have found with all of my deep relationships is that, uh, and Bobby Howard comes to mind too, um, is it's faith-based. We share a faith. And uh, that's important to us because we can really get honest with one another very quickly. And, and we know each other, and uh, if there's a need, we show up. Um, and in all of those cases, you know, the, uh, their wives are also close friends with Betty and me. So we're, uh, we, are, we feel very, very blessed. 
uh, our children really are some of our best friends now. Love spending time with them and our grandchildren. So I'll just sum it up. I think I had to change my, I had to understand my relationship with God, and I had to um, uh, change my relationship with others. And um, that, I think that that sums it up. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, kind of tee it up, and you can follow up with any questions. What uh, difference did the change that you made on the inside, how did that um, impact your teaching, uh, your business? Uh, you've, you've hinted at some of that, but um, from, from, from the changed man that you became coming back from that conference, um, how did you see the Lord working to show and use you in ways that before that were, you were clueless about? I had to believe the Word of God is true. I would read something and I would struggle with it. And I would try to rationalize it away. It can't mean what it means. Um, for example, one of the biggest theological struggles I had was on uh, predestination and election. As I started dealing with that, I said, I can't, that's not fair. And I, I wrestled with that for really a long time. And I read books several years. But it's clearly there in Scripture that God, well, God chose the Jewish people. He, God, in His infinite wisdom, has preordained and chosen people uh, for His purposes. I eventually had to embrace that truth and accept it. Uh, because I couldn't change it. It's true. And, and you know, people will say, well, i got free will to do what I want to. And you do. Uh, clearly, we're volitional people with God. You know, God created us to make choices, make good choices. But I will say to anybody that who says, look, I accepted God, and I walked the aisle, and I'll say, you absolutely did, and that's a beautiful thing, but I will tell you that God moved you first to do it. You would never have come to that point. He, God either orchestrated that event, that, occur, that Sunday morning, or whatever, whatever it was that led you to say, I'm going to walk that aisle <clears throat> and make that choice, or whoever that person was that sat down and witnessed to you. God is always in front. And so I think that's, that's the beautiful thing about a sovereign God. He, he is in charge of everything. He is sovereign. We don't understand all the mysterious things that happen in our life, why, why I'm even here with you. I don't know. Maybe somebody will hear something that makes a difference. But I can say that God orchestrated that and brought it about because he is sovereign. There's no random atom or molecule wandering around in the universe. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that this world just came together by, you know, by coincidence, by randomness, by chance. I think it's a sovereign, beautiful plan. Uh, you look at, you know, all creation testifies to God. Yeah. You just, you, you look around and you, you, you cannot escape the fact that a, a, a loving, sovereign God brought all this together, created the trees and the waters and the plants and, the, and 
on and on, you name it, the mountains, the streams, the skies, the planets. I mean, it all works in such beautiful harmony that if any one piece of it got random, it would just wreck the whole thing. So I, I, uh, I believe in a sovereign God is what that's to say. Uh, so it influenced my teaching. You say, how did it impact my classes? So <clears throat> once I accepted the truth of God's word, it's inerrant, it's trustworthy, um, don't understand it all, but, uh, but to whatever I, I can. But I have to accept it. If, if I dispute any piece of it and say, well, that doesn't really apply today, that was good back in the first century, you might as well just rip that page out. So where do you stop ripping yeah. the pages out yeah. to see my point? You cannot yeah. pick and choose like Thomas Jefferson did. I think he wrote his own Bible. He, he cut out a lot of things that he didn't agree with, and so he kind of came up with his own Bible. But if you leave it up to man to set the rules or the word, there, it, it is unlimited what man can create. And so uh, uh, the beautiful thing about the Word of God, it's been preserved for, you know, for centuries. It's, it's the oldest recorded uh, book. Uh, you, people will look at, <clears throat> at ancient writings and readily accept them as true, and yet the Bible writings predate all of these, quote, ancient writings. So I, um, going into my classes... Um, uh, I then accepted it as true, and then I accepted the Word of God as uh, life-changing. Uh, you know, it it uh, it will through the power of the Holy Spirit. It'll it'll change a man or a woman. So if you read it and accept it as true, and you start seeing, wait a minute, uh, in my relation to God and to others, this is how I should act. You know, uh, this is whether it's be respectful, be generous. You know, Christ described himself as being humble and gentle, so maybe I should be more Christ-like. You won't find that example anywhere in the world. You know, uh, everybody is trying to climb on top of the other person to get to the top rung. So uh, when, you, when you read that, uh, uh, you know, man makes his own plans, but, but God directs his steps, you sit there and you say, okay, all right, what does that mean? But you try to, you, you approach it from a standpoint, this is God speaking to me. Uh, how how sh- should this fit in my life? You don't just randomly uh, dismiss it. Uh, so you wrestle with it. You know, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it cuts through the joints. And um, uh, so it's life-changing. And and as you as you read, the, particularly the New Testament, and uh, you read all what Christ said, the Beatitudes, and uh, first of all, you, God has revealed Himself through His Word. And if you're sitting there in a classroom, you think, "My goodness, you know, the the God of all creation has revealed who He is and what He asks." That's that's a powerful thing. Uh, to read about a holy God who loved us enough where he would reveal himself to us, and then read about his only son, Christ. Of course, we're celebrating his birthday now at Christmas. And and the fact that um, his disciples, the 12 men, uh, of course, 
Judas was in there and then later replaced by Matthias. But to me, it, it, it's the most incredible story that those 12 men stayed together and did not break out and and say this was all phony and false. There's not a single one of them that denied Christ. After Christ died, rose and you know was buried, but rose. He ascended. That's a big, big deal. Easter's a huge deal. He ascended. If he didn't ascend, you know, he's still in the ground. Mm-hmm. But you contrast the 12 disciples with, let's just say, Watergate. I'm going to date myself here, back in Nixon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Those in the inner circle of President Nixon, you know, they were trying to um, cover up a stupid crime. And, and at stake was the highest office in the world, the presidency of the United States. That was what was at stake. And if those group of men, all they had to do was keep their stories together and not break ranks, and they could get away with the cover-up. <laughs> and... You know, John Dean and Chuck Colson and Richard Haldeman, they all broke rank. You know, even even Dick, uh, Richard Nixon eventually had to confess that, okay, this is a cover. He had to resign his office. And, of course, Watergate is, is a great scandal in our nation's history. But the point is, when it came down to trying to protect the highest office in the world that man has... They couldn't do it. They started cutting deals to save their own skin. You contrast that with the 12 disciples trying to protect the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and they all stuck together like glue to the point where they, they gave their own lives. Each one of them went to the death without denying Christ. Now, that to me is a powerful example of the truth of the divinity of Christ as those closest to him said, look, I'll be crucified upside down before I, before I deny Denying. Christ. Cut my head off. I'm not denying Christ. Burn me at the stake. I'm not denying Christ. You contrast that with what man offers. And so you see the divinity of Christ. Um, you... You tell those stories to a class of adults and you read uh, the Gospels and it changes your life because you see the truth of it and, and you see your need for a personal Savior and it leads to um, confession and conversion and, and um, new life. This has been going on now for 2,000 years. If this was of man, this would have fallen off the track long ago. I promise you, that <clears throat> there have been plenty of bad, bad examples in the world of Christian faith to have derailed this and, and said, look, this is all just smoke and mirrors and, and it's all about man trying to you know, create or protect some position of power. There, there, you know, I'm reading some books about, that touch on the history of the church back in the time of the Crusades. 
that was a dark chapter in the Christian faith where basically they said you either convert or die. You know, when you, when, that was a mindset of how mm-hmm. you converted people. You put them at a sword and said confess or, or die. Well, <laughs> that, fortunately, that is not how you convert somebody, a true disciple. Yeah, you can get somebody to say something, but that's not a, that's not conversion. You know, conversion is the Holy Spirit moving mm-hmm. and quickening a heart and opening their eyes and revealing truth. And uh, so I, but the Crusades would be a dark chapter. If that was all the church was about was the Crusades, this thing would have fallen centuries ago. So the, the God <laughs> has survived all these attempts by man to do harm. And all, all of those, incidentally, I look at them as power plays. You know, man's got a position of power and he wants to protect it. And the way you protect it is you, you know, you control other people. And that's man's manipulative way to preserve power. And we see it today in politics. It's all about just preserving power. But so uh, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but uh, I've enjoyed teaching, leading groups of, of men and women because it's it's helped me grow. And um, uh, so I think I've, I hope I've answered your Absolutely. question. You uh, love to carve. Um, Woodcrafter, you, uh, I've seen on your Facebook the images of the Labradors that you've carved, and um, and of course Jesus was was good with wood. Um, just talk about the analogy of of taking a piece of wood and and the way the Lord does with us. You know, he, he if we allow Him and are flexible in His hands to become the person that He wants us to be, and that's just somebody like Him. Uh, but that you're able to to eventually get that piece of wood to conform to what you want it to look like. Well, that's a beautiful uh, analogy. I do enjoy carving, and um, of course there's different woods. Some wood is softer and easier to carve than others. Some is just pretty stubborn and hard. Imagine like some folks, pretty stiff neck. <laughs> so, but the good news is wood will yield to a, a sharp instrument. Uh, so regardless of how stiff necked and ugly and snarly you are, some of the most beautiful things I've been able to work with, I, I go down to Reeves Wrecking and I'll get a piece of lumber off the stack there. It's black from old. It's got nails all bent in it. And it's from it's, barnwood builders. Yes, yes, <laughs> that kind of wood. Exactly, and it, it's it's in a it's in a junk heap. It's to be thrown away. It's been sitting there outside, exposed to the elements for a long time. It's beginning to decay at the end. But you can take that piece of wood, and you can start cleaning it up. You can remove the nails, and you can run that board through the. Uh, through the planer and remove the top layer. And underneath, there's this gorgeous piece of wood that will start smiling at you. And you say, wow. You know, so that, that, that's a beautiful thing to see. And then you can begin shaping it. Okay, what do I want this piece of wood? Do I want a bench? Do I want a table? Do I want to, do I want to carve another dog out of it? 
And so sometimes it's pine, sometimes it's walnut, sometimes it's spruce, sometimes it's cherry. And, the, and so it's a whole variety of different woods. And, and all of that wood can get real ugly left alone on a stack discarded. But with working with it, with the right tools, uh, you can begin to shape that. And then, uh, and you know, it's only limited by, your, by my creativity, what, I, what God puts in my Okay, let's, you know, I'm, I'm working on an elephant right now. My father-in-law uh, loved elephants. So a Georgia I'm, bulldog working on an yeah, elephant. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but I, 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 I found one of his old elephants. He collected elephants. And I said, I'm going to make, make this in honor of my father-in-law, Mr. Bill Amos. I was a wonderful man. Loved, I loved him. He, he became the father in my life uh, once I'm, when I married, when I married uh, his daughter, uh, Betty. He, uh, he took a, n- a new interest in me. He had to figure <laughs> out what he had on his hands. And so um, he began showing me how to become a father. And I was fortunate to say I grew up without a father, so I, I didn't have male influences in my life. And, and I was resistive because I'd become at age 18 pretty headstrong. I'd, okay, I can work. I can do my own thing. This is now my woman. I didn't understand family. So I was very resistive to an outside male inf- interference in my life. And uh, I, ha- I had to learn about family, how you love and, and uh, support each other and care for each other. And, and uh, I had to learn to respect uh, uh, my in-laws for who they are and that they had raised this precious woman to a, an age where, you know, it wasn't just like a chattel that you just turned it over and spent it. You know, they were going to stay involved in her life. Um, and, and that's a good thing. So uh, uh, I love that man. He taught me a lot. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm working on this element as a tribute to him. But, you know, when you start working on a piece of wood, you have this idea of what it's going to look like. But you have to start shaping it. And, uh, and the tools you use, sometimes it's a rasp, sometimes it's a grinder, sometimes it's a razor blade, a sharp knife. And you have to keep sharpening those knives, too. But it, it will take shape. And... It takes a long time to get a finished product. Uh, just like working, I guess, as the Lord works with me, he's, he's still working on me. He's been working on me 40 years. Um, but with, with a wood project, it goes through different stages. You, know, you first find the wood, you start cleaning it up, you start creating an idea, and then you start shaping it. And... You know, you can leave that wood at different stages and it will look okay, but it won't please the eye fully until you've really got the detail. And so that's a, that's a long process. And you get down to the fine detail tools with sharper knives and you're really, really getting the grooves in, in the wood where it's, it's more than just roughed out. It actually pleases your eye. Uh, my friend Chuck Brock says uh, it smiles at you. But once you've carved it, you then have to apply a finishing coat. It's not really through. It's still just raw wood. And so that's another skill set of, well, what kind of finish? Am I going to put uh, shellac on it? Am I going to put oil on it? Am I going to put a polyurethane on it? And so there's a, a you know, am I going to put tongue? What type of oil? Tongue oil, which is comes from the tongue tree is or... 
uh, go to Lowe's and you'll see a counter of many, many types of oil. So that's another skill set, trying to figure out what oil. And then the oil just uh, versus a stain, all that decides whether you want to change the color or enhance the color. And But then you got to put a finish on it, whether you're going to do a shellac or some kind of liquid plastic like polyurethane. Um, so... Obviously, what I'm saying, there's a process from start to finish to end up with a finished product. And much like the Lord working on me, he took some pretty raw material. He had to change it and shape it into what he wanted with me and with you and others. And um, fortunately, I think it's it's a, a lifelong process. I don't think the Lord ever finishes Cecil Cheeves uh, at age sixty. Let's say oh, you're good enough. Mm. You're on your own now. I don't think you know. I'm now seventy two. Um, I have different opportunities such as this today. Uh, at seventy two, I wouldn't have had this opportunity uh, uh, at age thirty. Um, wouldn't know what to say. I probably would have read something to you. Mm-hmm. Would not have had a, a testimony from my heart. So I'm, uh, I'm glad that, uh, that the Lord continues to work on you and me as long as we draw breath. Amen. Amen. We're not finished. Never will. Won't be until that day. See, so we've been uh, at this for uh, 45 minutes or so, and... Uh, it's been fascinating to hear your heart speak because that's what's happening here is your testimony comes from your heart. Uh, you don't have to think about really uh, what to say. It gushes from uh, the inner spring that the Lord has placed inside you. And thank you for the, for the man you are. Thank you for thank you. following his direction at that uh, conference, listening to Know what he was, you know, speaking to you in your heart that day to make you change that people back home immediately saw, that your wife saw, and what that has led to over the last forty years. And and I agree, he's not done with you yet. He's not <laughs> done with me yet. But uh, this has been inspirational, as I promised it would be when we first started. Uh, I, I, I'm sad that we're near the end of the discussion because I think we're just getting started. But Perhaps we can make an arrangement for you to come back and we'll pick up where we left off. Thank you for this opportunity, Phil. Uh, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Again, Cecil Cheese, my guest on Faces of Faith. And as I always say at this time of the podcast, whatever you are going through, always remember to keep the faith. Thanks for joining us.